Welcome to Poets and Writers. This is Henry McCarthy coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. We got a show for you today. We have David Madnone. He's over in Asheville, North Carolina, and the stories he can tell. So, David, how are you this morning? I'm very good. Very good. Uh, I'm going to be 90 on uh, July 25th, and uh, for somebody 90, I suspect I'm doing unusually well. Well, you really are, but you don't do old. You know, I'm over here the other day I was walking some land I have, and a fellow walked up and said, you know how old I am? He said, I'm 65 years old. And I said, you know how <laughs> I am? <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> said, I'm almost 80. He said, Lord, you've been doing something right. So you know yeah. about that, David. Well, we want to talk with you. I went through your book last night, and I really loved it. And it, we're oh. going to talk with you about this book you did about your mother. Yeah. Yeah, and give uh, us— uh, the, uh, yeah. the title of which yeah. is uh, uh, Mama—I called her Mama with two M's— Mama, uh, Mama's Lost Piano. The piano didn't get lost. She lost it in the sense that her father bought it for her finally as a really great present in Cleveland, Ohio, where they lived a good life. And then uh, he got fired, and the Depression was coming on. And uh, well, not the Depression, but uh, you know, the 1929 sort of thing. And uh, he had to go back to Knoxville and take a low-level job and live with uh, the family, live with the mother, his mother, uh, in a three-room uh, shack-like place. And so they went way down. And so he sold the piano uh, within a f- few days bef- after he bought it as a special thing for his his favorite child. had uh, two boys also. So that's the basic uh, thing about it. Well, it's a beautiful book, uh, listeners out there today, and it's David has written numerous books, and this is one that I went through. David, now, I don't like to get technical, as you know, but talk a little mm. bit about for, when I first went through it, I had to go back through it because you didn't write it in a one, two, three, four. Uh, you wrote no. it, and it's no. very beautiful. Talk just briefly about that, how you wrote uh, it. You presented it in terms of memories and flashbacks. Yeah, so talk a right. little bit about that. Oh, okay. Uh, at first, uh, it was about 12 years ago when I was writer-in-residence for five weeks at uh, Appalachian State uh, University, and I thought I'd tell it straight her whole life, and then I realized that would be about 2,000 pages long the way I write. And so I figured, well, uh, let's jump around uh, and look at her in terms of very vivid uh, images and actions and her memories and where she is when she remembers. So I pretend to be her remembering me and uh, my two brothers and uh, everybody else in the family and all of her. She had about six girlfriends. I, I guess she got to the one where the girlfriends came to her house and it was so cold all uh, four of them got in one queen-size bed with all their clothes on, their hats on, and uh, <laughs> just to get warm. Uh, so, uh, so to remember things like that and the time that she sneaked in the kitchen to fix herself some fudge because she ran out of those uh, Russell Stover candies and the kids wanted to come in and eat it and she wanted to be alone and read a book. She read a lot. Anyway, uh, so I thought, okay, I'll do this 
these uh, vignettes, I call them, mm-hmm. or epiphanies. I'll so, do these one at a time every day. So I started uh, January 1st, uh, 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 2012 or 13, and went until every night, every night, it was at night, I would write about a page uh, so that I had 365 pages, but more than that, so I really had to cut it finally. But uh, so the technique is uh, unusual for a memoir, a person having a memoir about anybody or about himself or anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I thought that that was a good way to do it. And mm-hmm. sometimes, uh, the reader wonders now, is this uh, Jerry, my name was Jerry yes, when I was yes, a kid, yeah. is this Jerry or is this uh, his mama remembering mm. this happening? And sometimes I'll dive right in without indicating that it's her memory or mine. Mm-hmm. So we can, so I can fuse uh, the two things together, my imagination of what she would have been remembering and what I knew she remembered, and, uh, and sometimes uh, things that, that I bring in that, that she only hears about. So that's the technique you're talking you about. Go. My question is, did you read the preface so you knew Jerry yes, with did. me? Yes, I did. I read the book, and uh, I get yeah. a lot of books. You know, after 350 shows, I don't, you yeah. know, and as you know, I'm a legend in my own mind, so, I've, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I get different techniques, but I, I yeah. just uh, I really felt, and of course, the setting is Knoxville, Tennessee. It's East Tennessee, and I was yeah. born in Johnson City, and let's see, you, oh, were, yeah. you were born in Knoxville, in that very house, yeah, yeah. that little house yeah. that she had to go into from yeah. her wonderful life in Cleveland. So she lost Cleveland yeah. as, as well. As, she didn't like Knoxville. She lost her special life as a teenager in, in Cleveland, then married a no-good uh, alcoholic, my daddy, that everybody loved, including me anyway. Well, I want to talk, let's talk about the content. Let me ask you some questions about it, right. because I was really, your relationship to your mother, now you had two brothers, and uh, John and Dickie, is that right? Yeah, yeah right. Okay, and, and one of them went to prison. And well, they, they both did. Okay. Uh, in fact, John, the little one, see, I'm the middle one. Right. John, the little one, had a cell right next to the man who assassinated uh, uh, Reverend uh, Martin Luther God. King. Yeah, he's uh, yeah. A, yeah, that's uh, a, oh, Luther. Boy. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ray. Help me out here. I, I am yeah. 90 after yeah. all. <laughs> that, was, that was Ray, right? Uh, from over yeah, the Mount, uh, yeah, no. yeah, James Earl Ray, yeah, who escaped then, uh, from Yeah, Beach well, Rock. I know all about that. We had an old boy from Mitchell County that was uh, his cellmate at one time. So, anyway, yeah. so here, here we go. So, here your, your mother, they go up there, they go to. Cleveland, they have a nice house. You, your dad had a good job. He lost his job, and so she had this piano, which she really loved, and they had to sell it, move back, and move in with uh, her mother. Is that right? You moved in uh, with his. Well, it wasn't my daddy. It was my grandpa, okay. and my grandpa's mother, and he was illegitimate, by the way, and oh, yeah. and and uh, he never had a. Uh, an active father, mm-hmm. and because my father was alcoholic, I never had a real father either, actually. All right, now, who were, you talk about your relationship to your mother, and she confided in you, and um, you helped her from time to time. Talk about, why did you have that special relationship, which was different from what your brothers had with her? Well, you know, I, uh, 
I was thinking about that uh, the night before, uh, well, uh, night before last, just before going to give a reading, uh, a, a bunch of rich people, and uh, I was thinking, you know, I really had a very uh, intimate understanding, sympathy, empathy, compassion for my mother from as far as I can remember, even four or five years old, as I observed very closely her life interacting with her mother, with her uh, father when he was alive uh, just a short time during my life, and, uh, and her bosses and, and so on. So that I, was, I think I was unusually uh, in tune with my mother right. as, well, a, as, a, as a son instead right. of a daughter, because, you know, usually it's that kind of sympathy. Exactly. Well, now, I want to ask you in terms of that, and I know you went to school one time and you were reading too much or writing in class and your mother had yeah. to yeah. go defend you. And, but you had this interest in writing in a household. Now, I grew up in East Tennessee. Yeah. And I, so I understand, and I, and I love your descriptions of Knoxville and so on in that era. But uh, mm-hmm. where where did this interest come from? And you were encouraged in your own way, but you were unique. You were writing stories when other boys were going out and stealing candy from a local grocery store. So uh, yeah, that's right. How, how'd you come well, up? Well, uh, it uh, actually the big inspiration was uh, radio drama oh. and movies. But, very importantly, my grandmother, we called her Mammy, uh, uh, my grandmother told stories. Uh And I could tell that she was using techniques, that she was consciously employing techniques to hold attention and to to put you off and then, you know, put you off balance and then grab hold of you. And uh, so I translated those gradually into uh, literary techniques. And the technique and the whole idea of listening to voices telling stories on the radio or in movies, uh, voices were very important. Uh, uh, voices telling stories are very important. And uh, which stories so did you I, grow up listening to on the radio? Was it Uncle Ron? Uh, well, uh, the night you know, I was born in 1933. Yeah, the shadow, so, uh, the shadow. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, the shadow knows. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. And then I named my first book of short stories, The Shadow Knows. Uh, one of the stories had that title. So, uh, And then I told stories to the kids in the neighborhood when I was three years old, and some of them were ten. So, uh, and I would just retell movie stories or make some up. And I started writing when I was 11 years old because I was also an artist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then... Before I read my first book, I had a one-foot-tall stack of uh, stories and poems and plays that I had written, uh, a lot of it in class and getting uh, suspended. (laughs) And then my mother had to go in and sweet-talk them. My mother was a con woman, (laughs) a con man. Mm -hmm. My brothers were con men, and I'm a con man as a teacher and as a writer. But we survive. You're a survivalist, too. I mean, those are techniques that you learn to survive. Yeah, yeah, this is during the Depression, 1933 and on. And uh, Roosevelt was the... The, the, my grandfather, so to speak, or, mm-hmm. well, yeah, my grandfather, the yeah. way I looked at it. And uh, so it was a fascinating time. Uh, and, you know, Cormac McCarthy comes mm-hmm. from exactly 
the same place at exactly the same age in Knoxville, and uh, and he he was so impressed with the way uh, we talked. We he came from Rhode Island, I think it was. But, but let me interject <clears throat> this real quickly because now I have some other questions I want to stick with you today. So let's yeah. not get too much off on Cormick, but I like his last name. And basically, we had relatives up around Providence College. That was the rich group that got rich. My dad's people didn't have anything, so. I don't know. There is. Uh, we all go back to County Cork. So in any oh, way, but what what I'm saying about Cormick, they they talk about him being privileged. His dad was a lawyer, TVA, but he lived out in the barn and he hunted. And and when he wrote the Orchard Keeper, my opinion is, you know the people and you've done some living in Knoxville in East Tennessee. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you view him as privileged? No. Right. Uh, no, because he consciously and deliberately withdrew from whatever sense that he may have known mm-hmm. as privilege and uh, uh, wrote from the beginning about uh, country people. And I just want to say that as well-tuned as my ear is, and as you know it to be because you read a lot of my work, mm-hmm. yes. uh, I have to say he caught the uh, dialogue better than I did. Well. And I'm talking about somebody who's writing generally I didn't care for, except the last one, uh, uh, Stella Morris, the short uh, uh, short novel okay. I reviewed for the Phi Beta Kappa magazine as a masterpiece and I'm uh-huh. really glad I yeah. did because so I all the cared. pretty horses the road and all and, and then you didn't get off on some of his more bizarre stuff shall, shall we say no no I tell yeah. you I'm, I'm even more soft hearted than James Agee you know <laughs> uh, I've written a lot about him I know a yeah. lot about him right. and uh, the things said about him uh, are different from my worldview, which is compassion. Absolutely. And, well, let's, uh, let David Madden, we're talking with David Madden today <laughs> on Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7. I'm just always thrilled and pleased to talk with a fellow East Tennessean. And David is an outstanding writer and just so, so knowledgeable. And now he's turning 90 years old, so that gives him some wisdom. Let's talk about your book and talk about the houses, because you know when you grow up poor and you don't have much, and everybody has to sleep together because you don't have any coal for the stove. Talk a little bit about the houses you wound up in. Yeah, well, the main house is the one I was born in, which was my uh, gra- uh, great grandmother's house, as I say, that they all moved into. And uh, I-, I was born on Henniger Street, just below St. Mary's Hospital over there in Knoxville. You could imagine that. And, but we were so poor, my uh, f- father and mother separated, and then they got divorced after he, uh, after he went to war and came home and still drunk. Uh, so she, she was always looking for another place to live because she couldn't pay the rent. And sometimes, though, she was very smart, very intelligent, and, and by the way, very, very charming woman and likable and, and loved life. But she would, uh, she would rent a house and then rent half of it to somebody else in order to pay uh, rent. So we had a we lived all over Knoxville, east, west, north, and south, uh, about twenty houses before I went to college. Okay, but so. now talk about some of these other houses because you know you became uh, you did well. You went in the Merchants <coughs> Marines and then, but you you made a little money here and there, and you started. Of course, you were over in Boone. 
But talk mm-hmm. a little bit about those houses. Then you wound up down at LSU, and then you had you a big house downtown. I know your mother, and you had a study. I know she would have been very was very proud of you. So yeah, talk a little, yeah, little bit um, about the fancy houses now, the houses you lived in later after. Oh, you oh, lived later. In yeah, yeah. Well, my my wife and I uh, started out in the basement of a house uh, where James Agee used to go to visit his uh, aunt. By the way, and then we moved to San Francisco, and we lived. Uh, in the Beatnik uh, area, and then we moved to uh, Appalachia, to Boone, into a very fine, wonderful house, but quickly moved on into uh, a succession of uh, country houses. One of them not quite finished, but it was an old house that was being restored. And we lived on Hot Holler Road, up three fences. You had to open three fences to get the car up there. We had a view of Grandfather Mountain, very clear. And uh, so we did love farmhouses, and uh, then then I think we moved to uh, our next uh, job was uh, uh, Louisville, and we lived uh, out in the country there, uh, where Blake was young, my son was young, and uh, then we moved to uh, Baton Rouge into uh, uh, a, a mansion, a real mansion. It was so beautiful but not costly. I bought it with movie music money when I sold Cassandra singing to Warner Brothers. I was the last writer in residence at Warner Brothers. Anyway, bought that house, and it was so beautiful that people always slowed down when they drove by to look at that beautiful house, a beautiful inside. And then we moved here to where I'm sitting right now in a cottage uh, in Black Mountain uh, on one of the most desirable streets, not because they're fancy, but because they're just nice. It's a nice neighborhood. And people walk into this house the way they did that mansion. They say, oh, what a beautiful house. I think it's because, as some people have said, they could tell that it was being lived in. I mean, mm-hmm. really lived. Absolutely. And we had, yeah, yes. that, that when we moved in, the snow was on the ground, the bo- Boxes were still in the middle of the small living room, and we had a Christmas party of 80 people coming in. And so we loved to bring people in. And then you saw, I think when you visited me, I think you saw my library out there in the made over Love it. Love it. Didn't you? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and what's the name of it? Could, what's the name I give it? Uh, I don't recall that, David. The Pleasure Dome. The Pleasure Dome, and it's right out, and I've never seen so many books, and you've taken a garage. <laughs> it's like a friend of mine that's taken a rental unit and turned it into his wine cellar. And I was out there the other <laughs> yeah. day, and I rented that's a great. little rental unit, and he said, well, come down here and let me show you something. I thought he was going to show me some power tools, and he opened it up, and he had a complete <laughs> wine cellar. Well, it's a showcase for anybody that comes here. I'd have to take them on a tour of the Pleasure Dome, and most of them know that it's from Kublai Khan by Coleridge in Xanadu de Kublai Khan, a stately pleasure dome decree. And uh, I take them in and, and, and try to show them on a conducted tour, and they get wrapped up in one or two books that they've read before. I can't break them away. I have to uh, uh, herd them into another part of the place. Well, we, anyway, yeah. that's, a, that's a wonderful place. I go out there about five times a day just for a purpose or just to wander, you know. And then my study, where I'm sitting right now, it's full of books. And before you go out there, people think, oh, you got a lot of books. And then they see those 4,000 out there. 
Well, David, now we're talking about your book today, which is about your mama, and it's Mama's Lost Piano. Am I saying that correctly, or am I pronouncing her name? Uh, Mama's Lost Piano. Some some people forget and say last piano, but that's good, too, because that's what it is. And And all those years, she she had to play somebody else's piano, and... uh, her mother bought a piano, and would, and her mother wouldn't let her play her piano, and finally she did. I think, yeah, she finally did. And then I bought her about five years before she died. I bought her a very nice piano that, to go into the house where I was born because she moved in and out of that house in between other houses. And then, you know, uh, uh, I like your questions uh, about the book, so I was about to say something about my brothers, unless you'd like me to. Say what you want to, David Madden, on Poets and Writers <laughs> today. Go All to right. It. Well, well, uh, we're the three brothers, and I call us the Marx brothers, and I'm Chico, <laughs> and my older brother is uh, uh, Groucho, yeah. and my little brother is Harpo. And I tell you, my little brother looked like Harpo Marx, and he was just as innocent doing all kinds of criminal things until I think there was a point where he uh, was moved to uh, do good deeds. And so, for instance, he saw a bunch of little uh, uh, African-American kids playing without shoes in a, in a, in a little town in, uh, in Georgia, and he walked into the uh, one of the department stores and said, there's a bunch of little kids out there, and they don't have no shoes. And so he put shoes on them. Uh, didn't cost him anything. He, he never had any money. Uh, he was a con man. And then he went on, and, and in the rain, uh, a, a highway patrolman was following him and stopped him. And he said, what do you stop me for? What do I do? He said, well, I stopped the sit in a, a cafe, and they were all talking about Mr. Sunshine that had put shoes on those black kids, and I, I, I started following you, and tell me something. It's pouring down rain. My car is full of rain, and my windshield is running, and there's not a drop of rain on your car. You must be the Sunshine Man. And so that was his name, and he did all kinds of great things and took people to Washington, D.C. for awards and all that kind of stuff. So that's him, and my other brother was kind of diabolic, but not in a serious way. Never heard of flea, but uh, he just didn't have a sense of sympathy for people. Didn't understand them, and uh, just just was about himself, but not mean. You know, he didn't hurt anybody. Well, now did he get out of prison and and live after that, or did he? Oh yeah, he got out of he got out of prison, and then he'd get put in jail for this, that, and the right. other. But he pretty much. Strayed, strayed away from the prison life too. Well, now alcohol and, uh, and John. I want to say something about John. Okay. He ran. He was gay and a convict, mm-hmm. and he ran for mayor in Knoxville, Tennessee, as Mr. Sunshine, and he did very well. And the people on TV they said, "We don't carry obituaries of famous people, but we got to do something on John." Well. <laughs> So My goodness. He, and he's all through there. All these characters are all through Absolutely. The, the, the book, book as is, you know. It is. I highly recommend it, and I know they can get a copy of it at the Brooks store or at, uh, on Amazon, and it's Mama's Lost Piano. And it's really the yeah. story. It's a beautiful story of family and 
and overcoming and dealing with life in in the dark side as well as the light side. And you yeah, talk, you know, as I had my family, we had alcoholism and uh, dealing oh, with yeah. that and so forth. And you can be a mean drunk or you can be a happy drunk, can't you, David? And so, we, <laughs> well, my of, daddy was just a. Yeah. An ambling drunk. You yeah. just kind of amble along through right. life. <laughs> now, you, your family, I want to talk about your wife because I visited your lovely home, and, and yeah. I know that uh, she has been very good and served like my wife has as my psychiatrist and so on. So talk a little bit about your current your family now. And you have a son, right? You have one son? Uh, yeah, Blake, uh, Blake is 63 years old now. He's named after William Blake the poet, and he's a master photographer and uh just uh, just retired from McDowell, McDowell Junior Technical College. And my wife is a major force uh, in this state, as she was for 40 years in Baton Rouge, uh, to push the e- Equal Rights Amendment, which has been. Uh, we've got enough states, but there, it's kind of locked up in a few people challenging it. Uh, well, now, where did you all meet? Well, I was in the Army in Alaska, and I wanted to get out, and I found out you could get out three mu- as much as three months early if you found, if your college started. So <laughs> I went looking for a college that uh, got out th- three months early. It happened to be in Iowa, and I thought, Lord have mercy. Well, I'll go there, Cedar uh, in Cedar Falls, Iowa, Iowa State Teachers College. Right. And so I went there, and uh, I was on the radio, and somebody there on the radio said, my roommate is heard you reading your poetry. She wants to read them, and can she look at them? I gave her copies, and then there was a, a break and oh, uh, Christmas. Got back, I says, "Where's that girl? And got my, who's that girl that has my poems? I want those poems back." So she called her and said, "Well, she's walking over here now. It was raining, sprinkling." I stood at the top of the steps of the building, and she came rushing up in a fury, and she said, "Here's your poems." And I said, you want to go with me to watch Charlie Chaplin in an old movie tonight? And that's how it started. Well, that is a great, that's a great story. And her first name is? Uh, uh, Robbie. I exactly. call her Robbie. It's yeah. really well, real she's person. in your book, yeah. And, you, and then you had a bunch of girlfriends. And then Stephen King liked that movie. I'm watching the clock here now, David. Bijou, okay. right? You, that's at theater down. You say, I called it Bijou when I was in Knoxville. <laughs> yeah, but uh, a lot Bijou. of people did. Yeah. I mean, that's by Joe. I never heard of Bijou, but talk a little. Talk, <laughs> Stephen King, why did he like that book very quickly? Uh, well, he, uh, uh, they wrote a, uh, mm-hmm. an article about a typical writer who's not rich, and that was me in the New York Times. And then the following week, um, uh, uh, Stephen King wrote a piece where he says, it made me sad to read that story about David Madden not making a lot of money off of Bijou. That's one of my favorite books. See, I think he even said the favorite, but I don't know. Anyway, he was so nice, and I guess what he liked about it was uh, it was sort of like his own childhood. And in fact, uh, I forget his name, but there's a famous uh, uh, writer of children's uh, boys' books, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he was about ninety, almost a hundred, and he wrote to me and said that was my childhood. All right, <laughs> all right. Well, we're talking with David Madden today, not Stephen King. And David, in his own right, has done some great things with his works, and I always enjoy having him on the show. And I have his book here today about his mama's lost piano, and it's symbolic of how we search through life for for lost uh, we search for meaning this way and i'm going to read yeah. to you folks out there listening around the valley and over in the mountains uh, page 220 said 
says, dying was always possible, but damn it to hell, so was joy, the joy of the moment. And so in the moment of that realization, what she felt was not pain or fear of death, but joy. She wanted to tell mother that, but too late now. That was the kind of realization that Jerry, though, would understand. Well, that's a beautiful quote right there. And then you talk about going to the light, Mama, and the last paragraph is, guess you and your yeah. son are there with her and you, and you think uh, talk just very briefly about that david and i'm gonna wrap it up Go well into the my, light, Mama. Uh, uh, my son and i were there when she was uh dying and we embraced her after they uh disconnected you know and i i read this just yesterday to a bunch of people that i ended with saying uh, uh go to the light mama uh go to the light and she and she thought she heard those words, and she stepped into the light as if onto a dancing floor to the music of Glenn Miller. And that was the end. Absolutely, (laughs) folks. I recommend this book by David Madden. Pick up a copy. And David, thank you for... I'd be glad to inscribe it if uh, people find a way to get hold of me. Okay, buddy. We'll track you down. It's always great to hear from you. Okay, buddy. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Now, this is Henry McCarthy saying, Do not wait up for me. Do not be afraid to stay or still away. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Thanks for listening. 